Welcome to According to the Scriptures. My name is Kyle Webb, and I serve as the minister for the Mars Hill Church of Christ that meets in Christiana, Tennessee. I am happy that you joined our program today, and I know that there are many other things that you could be doing, but I do appreciate you choosing to, to be with us and to study God's Word with us. And today we continue a study that we have begun. We're in the book of Judges. We are looking at underdogs of the Bible, and we're going to, to see uh, one of these so-called underdogs being Gideon. And so we have, have gone through Judges chapter 6. We may go back a little bit and review, but we're going to pick up with Judges 7 today. And uh, like I said, I, I've been trying to, to make this a little less formal than it, than it has been and, and just basically talk about the lesson. and. Hopefully that's something that, that is uh, appealing, something that is, uh, is helpful to you in some way, and, um, and, and I like what we're doing, so we're going to, to keep doing it, Lord willing. Uh, if you would like, to, um, if you would like to, to add your input to the lesson, I'm happy to receive any kind of comments or any questions that you might have. Um, you can send them to me by email. And I can see those as they, they come in. And so if you would like to, to send me an email during the program, you may do so. My email is bkweb, B-K-W-E-B-B, 519 at gmail.com. bkweb, with two Bs, 519 at gmail.com. And so you can contact me through that. Uh, if it's easier, you can send a comment through our website, too, and I receive those also. So uh, you can go to MarsHillCoc.org, MarsHillCoc.org. And like I said, if you do have any comments, any kind of questions that you would like to submit, uh, I would certainly love to hear from you, and I, I invite you to, to contact me in that way. Um, before we get into our lesson for today, let's bow as we usually do in a word of prayer. Our holy and righteous Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the blessings that you've given to us. And we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity that we've been given to study your word together. And we pray, Father, that you would bless this time, that you would bless it and help us to, to grow in our understanding of you and of your word. Help us to be better Christians. Help us to overcome our challenges. Help us to remain faithful. We know that there are many throughout the world who are sick or suffering, especially in, 
in light of the pandemic that we are, are in the middle of. We are thankful that, that an end is at least sort of in sight. At least we hope so. And, and we pray, Father, that you would bless us and help us to, to, to recognize the things that you have given us, to recognize our, our health and the things that we often take for granted. But be with those who are sick or suffering. We pray, Father, that you would heal their bodies, that you would be with those who care for them, and that you would bless them and, and the work that they do also. We are thankful once again for this time and opportunity. We thank you for your son, for his sacrifice for our sins, and for all that he means to us. It is through Jesus that we humbly pray. Amen. If you are just joining us in, in the midst of of our series, uh, this is, I think, about the third lesson that we have gotten into on uh, judges. One of the things that, that I might interject about judges is that the judges of the Bible, and especially the judges of the Old Testament, are not the kind of judges that we have today. They were not judicial officers uh, who preside over courts and things of that nature like we have today. As a matter of fact, I, I know uh, a man that was a former judge. And um, basically, whenever we think of judges, we think of somebody sitting high up in, in a court of law and, and making decisions based on evidence that is presented to them, or at least guiding a, a jury to make the right decision. Um, but that's not the kind of judges that we're talking about when we look at the book of Judges, these are not judicial officials as we would have today. They had no civil authority. They acted instead with uh, spiritual authority as agents of God. Um, and so God would give these people to be judges, men and women, as we find out. But he would give them to be judges over the people to help to lead them in their troublesome times. What we find is that whenever there was someone to lead the people, they, they would remain faithful, at least for a time. But over and over again, we also see that whenever one of those leaders would pass away, whenever one of those leaders would die, the people would turn away from God. And they would not turn back to God until there was some kind of influence. Well, God led his people in that way, back and forth. They would have a leader, such as Moses and Joshua. And when those leaders passed away, the people would start to do their own thing. It's almost like human beings, to some degree, have this inclination this desire to do their own thing. And that's not what God wants. God doesn't want us to do our own thing. He wants us to, to do his will. Well, whenever someone would lead them, they would do what God wanted them to do, at least to some degree. But we also see the inclination and the heart of man that they would often turn away from God whenever one of those leaders would be gone. And we find that with uh, the time of Joshua, I believe, and, and entering into the period of the judges. But you would have these judges come in and the people would be oppressed. 
they would be in time of, of need as far as as leadership was concerned. Uh, they would have their enemies. God would allow those enemies to take over for a l- little bit. And then he would send in a judge and this judge would deliver them from their enemies. Uh, the judges were very important. But uh, again, they weren't judicial officers, officials, however you might put that. But instead, they were deliverers. These judges were deliverers. They were directed by the power of God. And they were raised up to lead Israel in their quest for freedom from these uh, oppressing nations that they had. Uh, One good reference to this is in Judges chapter 3. And let's see if I can get there. Judges chapter 3 and in verse 9. Judges chapter 3 and verse 9. The children of Israel cried out to the Lord. The Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel who delivered them. And in this case, it was Othniel. Uh, Each of the the judges had uh, a different work, a different thing that they accomplished. Um, Some of the things that we find throughout the book of Judges, I'm not going to mention all of them, but we have Othniel that I mentioned a moment ago, deliverance from Mesopotamia, as we read in chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Ehud's deliverance was from Moab, the people of Moab, uh, chapter 3, verses 12 through 30. Uh, Shamgar's deliverance from Philistia, and that was the only one that led them uh, in deliverance from Philistia. Samson is also uh, mentioned in doing that in chapters 13 and 13 through 16. Uh, we have Deborah, uh, deliverance from the Canaanites, chapters 4 and 5. We're looking at Gideon, deliverance from Midian. Uh, the Midianites were the ones that oppressed Israel. And, and there are a few others, Tola, Jair. Jephthah is one that that is is very memorable. As a matter of fact, I I just got through reading that not too long ago in my own studies. Uh, But if you'll remember, Jephthah made a a bad decision and he decided to make an oath and he made an oath unto God. and, And he said, whatever comes out of my house, I will sacrifice it to you. And really think about it. I mean, what's going to come out of his house? And it ended up being his daughter. And he had to sacrifice his only daughter. Ibzan, Elon, Abdon, all of these were judges in Israel. And they helped deliver God's people from various oppressors. And so we come to Gideon. And and Gideon, incidentally, he was the, the son of Joash, who was an idolater. And so we see that, that he is told to, to tear down, first of all, his father's idol. And his father recognized that, that if those gods that they had served, if they were really real, that they could, could cry out for themselves. And so uh, he, he, he did not um, condemn Gideon in that way, as a lot of the people thought that he should. He thought that he should punish him in some way. He did not do that. Um, but, but we learned that idolatry was something that, that Israel had a problem with. And so Gideon was going to, to lead them out of that idolatry. That was going to be part of, of his mission 
He was going to to turn them away from this idolatry. And that was very important. And that's kind of what we have looked at up until now. Uh, We see that in uh, chapter 6, toward the end of chapter 6, Gideon asked for a sign. And let's just look at that once again for a moment. Uh, We see that he has torn down the altar of Baal. And we pick up with verse 36 of Judges chapter 6, verse 36. And it says, So Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. Uh, Gideon needed a little bit of guidance. He needed a little bit of encouragement. If this is really what you want me to do, then this is the the sign that I want you to use. And and God went along with that, at least for a moment. He did go along with with giving him the sign that he needed. Uh, But he needed another one. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece and the bowl full of water. And Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground, let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. So as we look at Gideon, he he wanted this sign. and, And like I said, God went along with that for a period of time, but it also comes a time when when Gideon has to move. Gideon has to do what God wants him to do and really wanted him to do from the very beginning. And so that was a a very important step for Gideon. So we pick up with chapter seven of Judges, Judges chapter seven, and let's look at the first eight verses here. And we see Gideon has an army of men. They come forward and they are are going to lead God's people out of this oppression. So he gathers his men together and uh, and this is what happens. Let's read through verses one through eight and then we'll uh, stop there and discuss what we've read. Judges seven, beginning with verse one. I'm reading from the New King James Version, by the way. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon. He had two names. And so sometimes he is referred to as Jeroboam. I believe that was the name that was given to him by his father uh, in light of, of what had happened with the, the altar to Baal, the gods that they served. Uh, but in verse 1, then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod, H-A-R-O-D, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead 
and 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. Uh, One of the things that I want to point out here as far as verses 2 and 3 are concerned, uh, it says here uh, that God didn't want the people to be able to say, my own hand has saved me. It was important to God that the people not be able to claim glory for themselves in their victories. He wanted it well known that he was the one that fought for them, that he was the one who had delivered them. Um, As a matter of fact, I remember other places in Scripture, and if I thought about it, I might have looked up one of those passages. I believe one of them is in Psalms. But there, there are places in Scripture where God didn't want the people to go into battle with horses and chariots. He wanted to deliver them his way. And he wanted them to know that he was the one delivering them. Uh, there was a, a time, I, I believe it was in the days of, of, well, it was, it was in the days of Moses. There was a time in, in the book of Exodus, somewhere about chapter 17, I think. To be wrong about the chapter, but anyway, somewhere around there. Uh, but there was a battle that the people went into, and Moses was to hold up his staff. Well, Moses' arms got tired, and what happened whenever that staff was lowered, the people started to lose the battle. So a couple of men, Joshua and Hur, I believe, came and held up his arms, and they said, or they, they didn't really say anything. They just held up his arms. And uh, as long as, as Moses' hands were lifted with that staff, they would win. Something that only God could do. But there were often times where God would use different ways of delivering his people because he didn't want them to have the impression that we have done this for ourselves. And so that is the case here. And we see an army that begins with 32,000 men, 32,000 men. And yet that number was dwindled. Uh, Let's continue reading here. Let's pick up with verse four. But the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. The number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you, and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands. And he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained, kept those 300 men. Now, the camp of Midian 
was below him in the valley. In verse 12, it says, Now the Midianites and the Amalekites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. Now, let's use verse 12 in comparison with the rest of what we have already read. Uh, as we look at, at what we have, we have an army for Gideon that begins with 32,000 men. Uh, 32,000 men, that's a good number. And we would think, okay, well, Gideon is going to be able to defeat these enemies with 32,000 men. But that wasn't God's will. That was not God's will. And so God issues these tests to dwindle this army. And he eventually dwindles it down to 300 men. Uh, the first test was that the fearful and afraid were let go. If you're afraid to go into battle, then don't. Go back to your homes. You do not have to go. As a matter of fact, this is a, a, a principle of war. Um, if I can find it. <laughs> uh, turn with me to Deuteronomy. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 8. Deuteronomy chapter 20. And verse 8. And here we read of several principles of war. Um, actually, let's pick up with verse 5 and read into verse 8. Then the officers shall speak to the people, saying, What man is there who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man dedicate it. Also, what man is there who has planted a vineyard and has not eaten of it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man eat of it. And what man is there who is betrothed to a woman and has not married her? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man marry her. And then you come to verse 8. And so we almost see a very similar thing to what God did with Gideon's army. But in verse 8 it says, The officers shall speak further to the people and say, what man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest the, house, the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. So it shall be when the officers have finished speaking to the people that they shall make captains of the armies to lead the people. So even in Deuteronomy chapter 20, we see a very similar instance uh, of dwindling of the armies. There were different things that that God gave the people. And, and if you're fearful and afraid, then turn back. In this instance, that's exactly what happens with Gideon's army. God says, you who are fearful and afraid, turn back. And one of the reasons that is pointed out in Deuteronomy chapter 28 is that fear is contagious. A lack of discipline harms all. The army may not be successful because of the fear that is spread throughout the people. It only takes one or two people who are fearful and afraid to make everybody else fearful and afraid, even if they aren't originally fearful and afraid. And so God uses this as a test, and he says, if you are fearful and afraid, and turn back, do not go forward. Fear 
is the opposite of faith also. Fear is the opposite of faith. If we are fearful, and there are different ways that fear can be used. Now, there, there's a type of fear that is used in, in reference to respect for God, especially in doing his will. Respect him and do his will. Fear God. That's not the same type of fear that we're looking at here. We want people to fear God, especially as Gideon is getting ready to go forward in this battle. You want people to fear God and respect him, but you do not want people to fear what is ahead of them, to fear the army that they're facing. Um, that, that's a good example from Joshua and, the, and Caleb and the spies. Whenever the spies went into the land, what happened? They saw the land and they saw their enemies and they were fearful and afraid of their enemies. We cannot take these Canaanites, these giants of the land. We cannot overcome them. And so they they looked at, at, at what was ahead of them. They were fearful of the armies and they lacked faith in God, whereas Joshua and Caleb they had faith in God. They saw through the lenses of faith, if you will. And they saw the power of God versus the power of the people, the power of the armies uh, that they were facing. And so that was very important for them. And it's very important for the, the this army, too, with Gideon. Uh, remember, we're looking at the Midianites and the Amalekites. Um, they were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts and their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore and multitude. This was a great, great army that the people were about to face. And in that they were about to face this army, they must not be fearful of the army. They must have faith in God. They must put their faith in God. And if there is any doubt whatsoever in their mind, if they place that doubt, those seeds of doubt in in the minds of others in this army, there's no way, at least by by looking at the power of man, that they can overcome their enemies. So it's very important that, that they recognize that, that they not be fearful and afraid. And so that is the first test of these men. Those who are fearful and afraid go back home. So that you don't discourage the rest of the army. So that you don't discourage the faithful. Uh, that can happen in the church too. But we need to make sure that, that we, we don't become a discouragement to the faithful. In, in oppression, in difficulty, in dissension, and, and so many other things. Um, and we didn't get very far. Uh, but the next one is the water test. And, and we see that. That whenever they they do this water test, there are only 300 that remain. But we'll pick up there, Lord willing, next week. I'm enjoying going slowly with this, and I hope that you are too. But but if you do have any comments, uh, again, you can can submit those to us by email. Uh, Just go to our website, marshillcoc.org, and you can go to our website and contact us there. Also, our address is there, our phone number. Um, if you're able to listen by, by internet, then, then you're able to go to that website. So please do, and, and feel free to contact us. 
I, I look forward to being with you again next week, Lord willing, as we study another portion of God's Word together, Tuesday, 11 a.m. And, and Lord willing, I, I will be back with you, and I hope that you can be back with me. But until we meet again, may God continue to bless you.